0: Look like this is what they look like, and they're in the foyer. Uh, invite a friend, invite a neighbor to join us and see that God is everything that we need. Um, so, for those who are watching online, thank you guys for being here. Um, for those who are on vacation and might watch this next week, we're continuing a sermon series called "Because You Asked," and we've called it "Because You Asked" because you asked. You asked. No, no, you asked. We asked. How about that? Um, and. Uh, To be honest, this has been an awesome sermon series for me. It's challenged my mind and my heart. um, And we've just loved opening up the Word of God together. And it's interesting what Baptist people ask, by the way. Some of you, I don't know who this was who stacked the deck, uh, but today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to open the Word of God. If you have a Bible with you today, please join me in John 14. That will be our starting point. And then we will jump to the Old and the New Testament to that from that point on. So because you asked the Holy Spirit, and just really my big idea is this question. I think this is a question that we as Christians often have, um, erroneously sometimes, but we do ask it. Why do we need the Holy Spirit if we have Jesus? Now some of you are thinking, well, I would never ask that. But that's the way we act. As if we don't need the Holy Spirit because we have Jesus Christ. So that's going to be our big question. Lord, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Who is he? What does he do? And how do we live that out? Listen to what A.W. Tozer says about the Holy Spirit. He says, if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on And no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. What a convicting quote by such a mighty man of God. May may it never be said of us that the Holy Spirit left this place and things went on as as normal. We want the power and the presence of God in our life. And you say, well, pastor, that's a little uncomfortable. You asked. Not my fault. Right? So we're going to look at the word of God and we're going to say, God, how do you work through us by your spirit? John 14. Jesus speaking. He's important. And this is what he says about the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 15. John is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus simply says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Some of your versions say comforter, or maybe even paraclete to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Let's pray, Father. We simply ask that you would send the power and the presence of your spirit in us. That what we do right now would not be religious exercise, but that the power of God would dwell in us and through us. Lord, we simply confess to you that apart from your Spirit, we can't know anything about a holy, righteous, eternal Father. So, Lord, open our hearts, engage our minds, and let us surrender our lives to the Father. And to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. We're going to look at two aspects of the Holy Spirit. First, who He is, and I've already thrown some of you for the loop because, for a loop because you thought that the Holy Spirit was in it. No, so who He is, and that's very key, and then what does He do? So point number one, who He is, point number two. What does he do? For those of you expecting a shorter sermon because of two points, no, no. Okay, who is he? First, first we see that he is God. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. From the beginning of time, we see vestiges of the Holy Spirit as God through the word. So think about, go to the very beginning. Go to the front cover of your Bible, find Genesis chapter one, one. And when you find that verse, you'll see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right there in Genesis one, one, we have God. Everyone agree with that? Yes. Verse number two. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery deeps and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So from the very beginning, we have God creating in the spirit hovering. Everyone agree? Yes. Verse number three. Then God said. Now that's an interesting word. I mean, God could create any way he wants. John, the, the very book we're reading now, would say that Jesus is the Lagos. Jesus is the word. So in Genesis, we see vestiges of God, the father, God, the son and God, the spirit. Actually, we see God, the father, God, the spirit and God, the son. What is the word trying to communicate to us? Baptist people, the spirit is God He was there from the beginning. He is with God. And then Jesus now picks this up for us in John 14, 15. What does Jesus say about the spirit? He says, ask the father and he will give you another capital C. Counselor, Jesus reminds us that we have always seen a glimpse of the glory of God working out in our lives From the beginning of creation, God is revealing himself to us. And even today, in 2019, God is revealing himself. How? Through his spirit. That will be with us how long? Forever. The Holy Spirit is God. And to deny the Trinity, to make the Holy Spirit a lesser part of the Godhead, is to dip into heresy. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. So the Holy Spirit is God. Let that be the diving board that we jump off now as we see the Holy Spirit working in our life. I'm so thankful that our God is a revealing God. I'm thankful that God doesn't give up on people like me. I'm not a person who you just tell them one time and they get it. I'm thankful for God to say, Josh, you need my spirit inside of you. To constantly draw you to myself. To constantly reveal my glory. The Holy Spirit is God. Secondly, we see this about the Holy Spirit. Who is he? Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you love me. I will ask the Father and he will give another Counselor. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that he has promised. Some of your verses say that I will promise you the spirit. I begin to think about the Holy Spirit as a promise of God. Why would Jesus promise us the Spirit? Well, Jesus, another word for Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And the Holy Spirit is a continuation of that. That God is with us. God incarnate who is dwelling and living and bringing the world back in redemptive purposes is now giving us the spirit to remind us of the promise of redemption. Who is he? The Holy Spirit is that promise. The Holy Spirit is the promise that God is faithful. The Holy Spirit is the promise that Jesus always does what he says that he will do. Now, the promise of God here comes with a caveat. It's okay, but pastor, I'm listening. A promise is only as good as what? As the person who is making the promise. Here's what we know about the covenant-making God, Yahweh. When you say the word Yahweh, you are saying, God, this is you, the one who keeps his promises. Every promise that God has ever made has come to fruition. He is the promise maker. He is the promise keeper. And the Holy Spirit is the vestige of God's promise. So when you hear the Holy Spirit, you should think, God, the Holy Spirit is a marker of your promises. It's a marker that you will not leave us, that you will not forsake us, that you are constantly revealing yourself to the world and to your people. Who is he? He is God. Who is he? He is the promise of Jesus Christ. But look at this verse again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Jesus says, I will ask the father and he will give the counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit is given to us. But not only to us, but there's a specific group of people that Jesus is talking with here. Is, is he not? There, there are two types of people in this passage. Verse 15, Jesus says what? You will know that you Okay, verse 15, John 14. John, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me. he said, so of course I love Jesus. We sang the song, right? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. That wasn't in my notes. I just spun this spontaneous by the spirit of God Um, but what's the reminder that God gives his spirit to who to those who love him how do we love Christ we do what he desires Jesus does not categorize people like the world categorizes us he does not say well I will give the spirit to, to certain ethnic groups if that were so you and I would not have the spirit because we are not, most of us are not Jewish by birth, by ethnicity. He doesn't say, Well, I'm gonna categorize those who have a socioeconomic category. You, you in a certain tax bracket, I will give you the spirit. He doesn't say, You Baptist, you have it right, and to you I will give my spirit. No, no cultural identity. Jesus is the dividing line. We either love him and we follow him and we obey him or we do not love him. And it shows because we do not obey him and we do not follow him. Which means if I say I love him and do not follow him, then I do not love him. We must, we must follow his ways. But for those who love him, he says, I will give this counselor. He doesn't just give, by the way. Listen to what Titus 3 says. That God, through Christ, poured out his spirit on us. Okay, I'm listening. This is the measure with which God pours out his spirit. He pours it out abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God doesn't give you A drop of his spirit. He gives us how? Abundantly. Overflowing. It's like that cup in Psalm 23. The cup that's not half full or or almost full. But a cup that's what? Overflowing. The Holy Spirit is given to those who love him. Listen to what Sam Storm says about this. God doesn't simply give us his spirit. He gives his spirit into us. Not just to us, but by an act of God, which can only be called intimate impartation. His spirit resides within us to encourage us, to energize us and to enable us. The spirit isn't just here. He is inside. I love that. The Holy Spirit isn't just here. He is inside. Wow. What a promise. That God gives to those who love him. Now some in our gathering are struggling right now. Because if you're honest, you you simply think, well, I don't know if the Holy Spirit resides within me. And I want to lovingly point out what Jesus points out. Some of you are struggling today because you don't feel the Holy Spirit working in your life and you haven't seen him work for years and years and years, if ever. And you think you know Jesus. Jesus. But you're struggling because you don't love him. It, what does Jesus say? He says in verse 17, He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. And let me just stop you right now. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't get the Holy Spirit thing, I don't think he's here, I don't know if he's working in me, is that because you don't know Jesus? He says, Well, I. I don't know. I I need to wrestle with that. If you don't know Christ, he is drawing you here today. We're going to see by his spirit, he is drawing you. But confess Christ as Lord. And if you do, if you turn from your sins, if you turn to Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, if you do that, then the Holy Spirit will be given to you. He's given to those who what? Who love him, who love who is the him jesus christ because he is the dividing line christianity doesn't say come to this awesome religion come to this church christianity says come to jesus and when you do he will abundantly pour forth his spirit not around us not on us but into us who is he he is god he is the promise of Jesus Christ. He is given to those who love Christ. We see in John 3 also, you say, well, how, how do I love Jesus? How can, how can I love that? You're not the only person that's asked that question. In John 3, a man of, of learning, a Jewish man, a scribe comes to Jesus Christ. Um, he, he's had more education than you've had most likely in your life. He knew the scriptures more than you and I know the scriptures. And he comes to Jesus at night, of all things. Actually, the best translation would be that Nicodemus comes to Jesus in darkness. And he just simply asked Jesus a, a very simple question in John 3. He asked Jesus, he says, We know that you're from God because no one can do these signs like, like you do. And Jesus in verse three of John three says, well, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now think like someone who's never heard that term before. Is anyone signing up to go through the birth process again? No, no. And and so Nicodemus actually answers it rightly. He, He answers it in a way that he says, well, Jesus, how can anyone be born when he is old? How can he enter his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus simply says, I tell you, Nicodemus, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is the Spirit's essential role? The Spirit's essential role is to draw men and women for salvation. To draw men and women for salvation. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born of the Spirit. So some of you are thinking, well, I don't need the Spirit. Well, God would say you're not of the kingdom. It's, it's crucial. It's, it's vital. It would be like me saying, well, I don't need error. And God would say, no, you need my spirit. The spirit is the heir of God in our lives. The essential role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. If the Holy Spirit is not convicting you of sin, there's something wrong with you. Not right with you. Because until God brings me home to glory, I just believe that I will never be sinless. I'm working on it. I'm pursuing Christ. The closer I get to the light though, the more imperfections I see in my life. So when the Holy Spirit convicts you, our answer should be, God, thank you for the conviction that you've brought in my heart. And so now forgive me. That's the essential role of the Spirit in our life. If the Spirit has not stirred your soul to run to Jesus, you have not been born of the Spirit. You don't know Christ. Charles Spurgeon says it this way about for pastors. So I'm gonna preach to myself and you can listen. Spurgeon says, you might as well expect to raise the dead by whispering into their ears as to hope to save souls by preaching to them if it were not for the agency of the Holy Spirit. There is no aisle. There is no revival. There is no baptism. There is no class. There is no catechism. There is no pastor who has ever saved a single person. That is the Holy Spirit working through us. And so if you are a child of God today, rejoice that the Holy Spirit brought you to Christ. We should rejoice in that fact. If you are a child of God, you are saved because the Holy Spirit has been working on you and in you and through you. I have a a friend that came to me this week and she just needed some encouragement. And she's not a believer yet. Yet, and she began to share, she's going through a major tragedy in her life. And I looked at her and I said, you don't believe in this Jesus, do you? She said, no, not yet. And I leaned in, I said, well, why are you here? So because you know, the only hope, she's listened to my sermons before. I said, you know, the only hope that I have in death is Jesus. And so I look over, I'm at this, my little table. And I look over and her friend is just weeping. And I look at my friend and I say, you are here because the Holy Spirit has drawn you here. Listen to him. The Holy Spirit is essential for salvation. Nicodemus, how long has the Holy Spirit drawn you? How long, if you have not given your life to Christ, how long has the Holy Spirit been drawing you? I sat in this little country church in Mississippi. I sat in the back row over there. And I remember sometimes during the sermon that something was happening. And looking back now for years, the Holy Spirit was drawing me. And I, and I remember finally an invitation was given and the thought occurred to me, God, If you are true, if Jesus is who he says he is and you are offering me the free gift of eternal life, abundant life, forgiveness of all the wretched things that I have done. God, if this is true and you are offering it to me and your Holy Spirit is inviting me, I would be a fool not to say yes. And maybe you can think back in your life and just realize all the times the Holy Spirit was drawing you. St. Josh, what about that? You could have died in that car wreck, but I saved you. Follow Jesus. You could have died by those sins that you were longing for. You could have destroyed your life, but I was rescuing you. Follow me. Come to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. For those in Christ today, you're probably welling up with tears thinking, God, you were there at that moment. And God, your spirit was there at that moment. And God, you were there. God, why do I deserve this? says, you don't. That's why it's called grace. The Holy Spirit is essential for salvation. And I'm praying for some of you right now, the Holy Spirit's drawing. Say yes to Christ. Turn to him. Run to that throne. So what does he do? If that's who the Holy Spirit is, then what does he do? We see he's essential for salvation. And let's go back to John 14, 15 again. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit by another name, a nickname, if you will. He says, I will send you, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another counselor. Or Some would say comforter. It is one who helps by consoling, encouraging and mediating on behalf of this actually the Greek word paraclete that's what we can call the Holy Spirit. Some of your Bibles might say paraclete. So why would the Holy Spirit comfort us? Maybe you've been in your life before and and you couldn't even pray except one word and just say, God, help. I know I've been there before. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit praying on our behalf, but Just saying, God, I need your comfort. God, rescue me. God, work in me. God, this is my time of need. I need your comfort, your counselor. And God says, I sent him. His name is the Holy Spirit. What a powerful promise that is. But this comfort comes at a risk. Here's the risk. Listen to what Francis Chan says. He wrote a book called The Forgotten God on the holy spirit chan says why would we need to experience the comforter in our lives if our lives were already comfortable but let me read that again why would we need to experience john 14:16 the holy spirit is our counselor and our comforter if our lives are already comfortable the reminder from the comforter is this. I cannot live for me and self and for the comfort and my comfort and be led by the comforter. I can't say, God, I am living for self and sin and I want to live with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit requires risk in your life. And the risk is, God, I trust you. It's the same risk that we might ask a little child who's, who's going to jump from this step to the bottom. And we say, I'm going to catch you. Do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Okay, jump. Jump. Well, I can't do that. Do you trust me? Yes. Well, jump. See, there's risk in trust. There's risk in Christ. There's risk trusting the Holy Spirit. And I really believe in our lives, sometimes I do not experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit because I am too comfortable. That I would rather say I will choose my comfort over the risk of abiding through the Spirit of God. Oh, that we would be uncomfortable to experience the comforter today. He is our comfort. What else does he do? John 14, 17. The Bible says that he is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do, you, you and I, if you're in Christ, you know him, Jesus says. Why? Because he, he dwells, he remains with you and will be In you, right? God didn't give you the Holy Spirit. He gave him into you. What is the Bible saying about the Holy Spirit? He displays and he does the will of God. So the Greek word here means to abide or to constantly remain in our lives. I think we have it backwards or erroneous sometimes as Westerners, particularly Americans. If we're not careful, we, we want to pray so often about the will of God. So listen to what I'm saying. I want you to obey and follow the will of God. But there are times where we are so concerned about the will of God, we forget that he is in control. Because there are really two types of God's will. There is his sovereign will. It's the will that's created by fiat, the world, which no one, not even Satan himself, can thwart the will of God. But there is also the commanded will of God. For instance, honor your father and mother. Some of you have disobeyed that in your lives. What is is God's will for you to obey your father and mother? The Decalogue. Absolutely. But that is the commanded will. He gives us as free moral agents the ability and the license to choose otherwise. And unfortunately, often we choose sin. So let's go back now to the will of God. Often we pray, God, let me see your will. God, let me know your will. God, just display your will and then I will do it. But I believe often God is saying, I did. I did. I don't have to pray. God, if you want me to obey my father and mother today, I will. God, what is, God, is it your will today that I don't kill someone? Or, God, is it your will? God, if you show me in vivid imagery, I will not lie. Well, we know the will of God. It's the commanded will of God. And listen to how Jesus prays in the garden. Jesus is walking towards his death. And he's sweating drops of blood, Luke tells us. And he prays this. You know the prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my Will, but yours. So, what does Jesus not pray there? He doesn't say, "God, Father, this whole cross thing. If you show me your will, then I will I will walk a sacrificial death to the cross." Jesus doesn't pray that. Have you ever wondered why Jesus doesn't ask? He doesn't ask God for his will. He just simply says, "God, not mine." but yours why because what is Jesus doing what is he constantly doing with the father he is remaining in him he is abiding in him you see god wants us to so abide in the spirit that we know the will of god we don't have to constantly ask god what is your will what is your will the holy spirit is working in us according to his good pleasure the will of the father we have an easy modern application it's like me praying for a map. Do they, do they even make those any, anymore? <laughs> I got an amen over here for my father-in-law, by the way. He loves maps, like physical maps. It's like me praying for a map. God, if you, just, if you just map everything out, if I see the journey, if I see the path, then I will walk the step and God is saying, I gave you the GPS. Just trust me today. Trust me with your will. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He works out God's will in our lives. Will the Holy Spirit ever do anything that is outside the will of God? No. So if I am abiding and remaining in the will of the Holy Spirit, then what will I be doing? The will of God remain in him. What else does he do? Let's look at John 16. You can flip over maybe a page, John 16, 14. Again, we see this in through Christ. It says this about the Holy Spirit, John 16, 14. That the Spirit will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and, to, and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. That's why I told you that he. That he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. And this is a passage that's, again, unfolding in Christ-like terminology, the counselor's ministry, the Holy Spirit's ministry. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He always magnifies the Son. The Holy Spirit will always magnify the Son. The Holy Spirit was, in essence, the first messianic hype man. He is promoting The son of God. And by the way, what is Jesus doing here on earth? He was promoting and exalting the the father, the Holy Trinity, living and working itself out in our world that we might see the glory of God. John 14 says that the Holy Spirit will always magnify the son. J.I. Packer puts it this way. The Holy Spirit's message to us is never look at me. It's never listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him, see his glory, listen to Jesus and hear his word, go to Jesus and have life, get to know the Messiah and taste his gift of joy and peace. Peace. And if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you today, what should your life look like? It should never be look at me, but look at Him. Listen to Him. Read His words. Come to Him, because in Him has life. The Spirit will always exalt the Son of Jesus, the Son Jesus, the the Son of God in our lives. So let's continue. Um, not only does he magnify the sun, not only is he essential for salvation, not only does he do the will of God, but he will fill, he gifts his people, and he employs. I'm gonna give you one verse. Acts 4, verse 31. Paul, I mean not Paul, but Peter, out of prison, and now they're they're praying. And the reason they were out of prison, by the way, is because they were praying. So they get out of prison and now they are. Praying. So church, what should we be doing? Praying. We want to see the power of God in our lives. But verse 31 of Acts 4 says it this way. When when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Speak the word of God boldly. So this is after Pentecost. This is not a second Pentecost. Pentecost. Why were they filled? John Chrysostom, an early church father, says. It means that they were inflamed. The gift of the Holy Spirit burned up within them. And they spake the word of God with boldness. We need a fresh filling of the Spirit of God. We need to come in these places with the expectation of God. You're about to shake the ground today. Not, Lord, not to us. Not to us, but to your name and to your glory. Now, let me confess something to you. If the building starts shaking right now, I am scared. But if the Holy Spirit is shaking the ground where we are praying and seeking him, there is no other place I would rather be with the Spirit of God filling us again, renewing us. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be used by the Spirit for the glory of Yahweh. Think about what 1 Corinthians 12 says that there are different activities but the same God each who's given a gift, a manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. So what is your gift? If you are in Christ and the spirit is in you and the spirit gives gifts, then you have a gift. Are you using that? I don't want to be the the servant who hid his talent in the ground. And one day when God calls me home, I I dig it up and I say, King Jesus, look at what I found for you. The gift that you gave me, the talent. And he's going to say, but why didn't you use it? Why wasn't it manifest in your life? Why didn't it return with interest? Why wasn't it changing the world? I don't want to be the one who buries and hinders the gift of the Spirit in my life. I want to be one where the Spirit of God is freshly filling me daily. The Holy Spirit fills, He gifts, and He employs. Two more thoughts. The Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us. If you've ever struggled to pray, you're not alone. You know who struggles to pray sometimes? I do. You know why we struggle to pray so much? Because your adversary doesn't want you to pray. That's why he gave us phones to distract us. And everything else. And even in those moments where we struggle to pray, the Bible says this about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26, and 27. I'm not going to read verse 28. Some of you know that. You're, you're about ready to throw it at me. It's on your bumper sticker, right? God works out for the good of those who love Him. Hold on now. How does God work for the good? So we sometimes forget the, the previous two verses. Look at what it says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. He searches our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of the God, of God, because the Holy Spirit always does the will of God. You know what gives me comfort? That when I don't know what to pray or how to pray, the Holy Spirit does, and so he is praying for me. And when that happens, when the Holy Spirit is groaning on behalf of God, and and in my life, the Holy Spirit is probably groaning to God saying, again? But there are times where the Holy Spirit is groaning on my behalf and saying, Father, Josh doesn't know what to pray, but, but Father, I do. So I'm groaning on his behalf because he's broken because he's worn out. And Father, I know because I'm groaning in verse 26 and for verse 27 that Josh can read verse 28. Because I'm groaning on behalf of God, your people, and in your people. Then they can now read that we work for the good of those who love Jesus and are called according to his purpose. How can we say that? Because the Holy Spirit is praying for you and in you. Constantly interceding. That is his work. That is his ministry. Our groans become his groans as he intercedes on our behalf. Lastly, we must be careful not to stifle the Holy Spirit. I say for the Baptist Church, the best for last. First Thessalonians says very simply, verse 19, chapter 5, don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. What is God reminding us of? That the Holy Spirit will not overpower you and he will not coerce you, but he wants to work in you and through you. So we must be very careful not to stifle. The Greek word here means to, to extinguish a flame or figuratively suppressing or stifling Something it's like like the disciples telling the kids who are coming to Jesus, right? Run along, not now. Too busy. Jesus has more important things. He's the He is the Son of God. You know. The disciples were stifling those kids, and what did Jesus do to the disciples? He rebukes them. So we must be very careful not to stifle. How do we stifle the Holy Spirit in our life? I think there's two major ways: one by cynicism. We don't believe the word or we say we believe it, but we don't expect God to work. Or we pray, but we pray as if to say, God, you could. I'm going to pray because I know that I should, but I know you'll never do that. Or, well, God doesn't work like that. Cynicism and how quickly does Satan sprinkle cynicism in the community of faith? Well, don't believe it was God. Don't believe God could do that. So if you're cynical, I I didn't say that we should be discerning, but if we're cynical to the things of the Holy Spirit, we are stifling him in our lives. The second is not only cynicism, but sin. That when I sin, it's it's like a dripping faucet that I'm constantly becoming apathetic to the things of God in our life. One of the saddest things Stories in all the Bible is a man named Samson, a really strong dude, right? Worked out a lot, a lot of protein shakes. He was just aggressive. And he did a lot of mighty works for God. But Judges says this about him in Judges 16, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. They wake him up, and when he wakes up from his sleep, he says, I will escape with my might as I did before, and I will shake myself free. Judges 16 says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He had stifled the Spirit. In this case, because he had broken the Nazarite vow. And how often do we stifle the Spirit in our lives? Through our habitual denying of truth. To our apathetic ways to sin, to say, you know what, it's a small sin. No one here saw it. And God, I know that you forgive me anyway because that's what you do. So I'm just gonna go on. And over and over again, we extinguish the flame of the Spirit in our lives. Church, do not stifle the Spirit. So how can we take this home? If you are a child of God, rejoice. Rejoice for all the promises of the Spirit. Rejoice that the Spirit has been drawing you and working in you. When you sing the song of response, you should sing a Spirit-filled response to the glory of Christ in you. That should be our response. Maybe you're here and you do not love Jesus. And today your response needs for the first time to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. And if you do, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever turns from their sin and turns to Jesus, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is my prayer for you, that you would turn from yourself and turn through the spirit by the son to the father and that you would find abundant life. I'm going to be down front. We're going to have counselors that would love to talk to you about following Jesus. And you might say, well, I want to come up in front of all these people, fill out a connect card and we will follow up with you or our counselors stay up here after the service. They would love to talk to you, to pray with you about following Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with this quote as we respond, a quote by Charles Spurgeon. To the believer, you ready? Dear brother, honor the spirit of God as you would honor Jesus Christ if he were present. If Jesus Christ were dwelling in your house, would you not ignore him? Would you not go about your business as if he were not there? Do not ignore the presence of the Holy Spirit in your soul. I beseech you, do not live as if you had not heard whether there were any Holy Spirit. To him, Pay your constant adorations. Love him. Obey him. Worship him. That is what we need today. Let's pray, Father.